0: Just a little bit about these conversations, um, as strange as the time that we're in right now is, um, this has given us all a unique opportunity to sort of come together and, and reflect on the community that we've built and also find some new uh, collaborative routes and, and really develop and hone these relationships a bit more. Um, last week's town hall, I think, was the culmination of um, a, a massive shift to this, this new Zoom uh, world that we're living in, um, and we're going to do our best to make the most out of it during this time until we're uh, back to whatever the normal is. So we're very excited to have everyone here. Um, the, the main purpose is, besides getting to know each other, but also to uh, facilitate a lot of collaboration in ways that perhaps um, some of us wouldn't have thought of otherwise. So today, as I mentioned, we're going to be uh, welcoming a, a software company that's dealing with supply chains, um, a hemp farm in, in New York, and a uh, a refugee... Um, operation facility and, and nonprofit that is helping people in Greece right now, um, especially with COVID-19 testing called uh, When We Band Together. So those are the three presenters that we're going to hear from today. And then we're going to move into um, a, a brief tour of the Antwerp store, uh, followed by some question and answers. So uh, with that, we're going to jump right in with uh, Juliet Barr, the Director of Business Development from SourceMap. Uh, Juliet, thank you very much for, for coming today. We're very excited to Uh, welcome you and and also have your op-ed which is now live on the canvas website and we'll we'll be distributing that after the call to everyone but um, please start us off with answering a few of our questions here where are you and how are you doing in this strange time Uh, what you do and how you do it some predictions for the future of your industry and your practice and then any ideas uh, moving forward as we sort of bring source map technology into the canvas community so um, we'll get started there thank you
1: Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm very excited to to start working with you guys. So I am right now in Wilmington, North Carolina. I'm usually based in New York City in the East Village. And our office is downtown. But um, as some of you, I think I escaped the city to avoid getting stuck in my tiny apartment. So living with some friends, we rented a house in uh, in North Carolina. And I'm doing good. We're good, doing good. Um, It's a bit... It would be strange to adapt, but um, now I think on the business side for us, it's pretty exciting because lots of people are now thinking more and more about their supply chain, especially in the fashion industry. We also work a lot in the food industry where um, the discussions are more around how to bring food to people, but in fashion, it was more about how do we do, how do we produce or how do we sell clothes or how do we bring clothes when factories in China or all around the world are closed. Um, so uh, that's pretty much what we've been working on and, and talking to a lot of people. And what do I do now? Uh, so I'm on the sales side, so basically answering people's questions on what we do and I'm happy to, I can show you what exactly we do and I'm gonna share my screen if you, if you want to show that's you um, examples, yeah, uh, no problem. Please, thank you. And uh, also as a company trying to uh, be a leader in, in so basically maybe presenting SourceMap very quickly. We do software visualization, supply chain visualization supply chain discovery. so we work mostly with big groups that don't know where their pro- products come from. They know the factories they maybe audit the factories but they don't know necessarily where the leather coming from, where the cotton is coming from uh, and all the intermediaries not even talking down to the farm we, we go down to that level but even the intermediaries and um, so we help with all that. and we also help with uh, traceability so it's one thing to know more or less which factories and which farms um, you're using. But after that, we go a little bit deeper and go down to the exact transactions, exact uh, shipments to make sure there is no fraud. That can be counterfeit or um, other kind of fraud that we can talk about. Uh, we do that on a private, very secured platform that our clients are using and we don't share that data. But we have this other software, which we're going to work with the Canvas. Um, the Canvas is going to be using which is more for trans- what we call transparency, consumer transparency. So telling the story of your product to the public. And it's, um uh, it's maps pretty, pretty much. And you put nodes on where your suppliers are, how much you want to share, you know, about those suppliers with your consumers. If you're doing cool initiatives or, or if they are doing cool initiatives for the workers, for the environment, you can share it and then you can, uh, share those maps on your websites and uh, put a QR code on your on the tag of the label uh, you can put it uh, on social media etc so really trying to engage your consumers um, on transparency how products are made uh, we want transparency to be the new normal that's kind of the goal for us at SourceMap, map um, and we're here to to help with the kind of the dirty work that big companies needs to do because they don't know <laughs> uh, and bringing that to, to, to consumers. What we know is for smaller brands is sometimes a little bit, they have big challenges, but it's a little bit easier because you have less products and you have more, usually a say on what kind of material you want to use. So it might be easier for you guys to uh, actually just create those transparency map and, and engage your consumers on this. Um, so that's what the company does. And on my side, I'm on a sales and marketing team. So everything before the clients buys it, uh explaining how it works and uh, trying to also find the right clients. We're in the space where we're lucky enough that lots of people want to work with us, but we also trying to choose which client we want to work with. Um, so it pushes us as a technology company in the right direction. No, I don't know if you want me to jump and show now, Devin, what we do, or if I have to, I, I should answer the questions first.
0: That would be great if you want to jump into how source map works and, and sort of how the brands will be able to utilize it to really tell their story.
1: Sounds good. Uh, let me share my screen then. I can show you the enterprise software, but if you want to jump in and let me push. The, um, of what you guys are going to have access to, um, and you can even go check it out now. It's called open OpenSourceMap.com. Yeah. Think of it as a YouTube of supply chain maps. So the canvas will be able to create for a product or for brands. It's really up to you at which level you want to go. Um, those maps. Uh, one of okay. our big clients is VF. So um, they own you know Vans, North Face, transport, Timberland, things like this. They decided that for their key products, they wanted to create those maps. Uh, But we have other companies that do it at the brand level. So again, very flexible. This is um, the map for the sleep-ons that everyone was wearing last year from Vance. And they decided to share different stories around the factories, the textile mill. Sorry, we have a couple of people in the house. The textile mill, the material suppliers and each of those nodes, you can click on it or your clients can click on it. And um, they decided to share some pictures and what they knew about those suppliers. Uh, lots of storytelling, completely customizable. You will be able to tell the story of your suppliers or of the product of how it's made. It's really, really uh, up to you. And um, you can also share those maps on social media. You can sh- share this with an iframe sure. on your websites. And, uh, or link this uh, URL to a QR code. So uh, if you also have like videos or anything really you want to tell about your products, it, it's very flexible in terms of, and again, I can even show you, um, if you don't want to, or if you don't know, you don't have to put the arrows I mean, uh, for example, Hershey's uh, with the Reese I mean, candy. Um, is sharing more about the cocoa supply chain. And in this case, they work a lot with like uh, schools in Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire. And for those um, health clinic, okay, here we are. I know. They shared what they're doing with the school, not necessarily in a link to the supply chain per se, but that's things that they're doing. Okay. So if you're participating, I mean, I know you're not like this massive company have this huge program on sustainability. But if you know that your suppliers or that uh, you're working with some artisan uh, that are doing cool work, you can definitely share it on those maps and, uh, and then share it with your consumers. And to give you an idea, if we go back to, to VF or how they at the moment do it, uh, how do they share that if you go on their website, Google trustability maps will find it. And for their key products, different kinds, they have the maps. They don't do it for all their products yet. Um, I think they're just choosing what are either the best sellers or the, the, the products that are bought by more like the Gen Z kind of uh, uh, consumers, uh, because they think it's, it's the one that they're the most interested in. And we did, maybe you've seen some of those maps, we did some kind of uh, marketing around um, the Timberlands, uh yellow boots last year <laughs> no i'm not I'm supposed to be watching a presentation I wanna not look like I'm looking, but i'm gonna talk to you
2: you <laughs> know
0: I, I I believe your microphone is thank you
1: <laughs> um so, yeah, that's, that's the part that we do that really we want to work with the canvas to try to bring um, the, the brands that are on the canvas to, you know, give them more visibility. We're also very happy to kind of, uh, we have a newsletter of professionals that are really interested in what other people are doing. So we'd love to, once you have a couple of maps uh, on open to also advertise and like tell all the cool works you guys are doing. So that's kind of how we wanted to work with you. I don't know if you have any, questions so far I mean, or if we take the questions at the end
0: thank you Julia yeah we're gonna we're gonna try to loop back to the questions at the end I know that you uh, you have a limited time but I think we'll, we'll start the questions with you once uh, the rest of our presenters go sounds good thank you <laughs> um,
1: maybe that's just the, the last piece that sure. uh, I wanted to show you is the enterprise software so that's more the work we do behind closed doors um, because 90% of our clients don't want to be uh, transparent, or they want to, but their legal departments won't let them. Uh, but just to show you what we do, it's a bit more analysis. We help them when they have lots of data to visualize it on maps, but also on the network, and often see for them where are the gaps. Um, we help, we invite their suppliers to respond to questionnaires when they're missing some data, especially on who are their tier two, tier threes. So, tier two would be the indirect suppliers. Like one level uh, down, and tier three will be the, the next one. Uh, and when we visualize that, and I think that's you know talking about COVID a lot lately. Uh, what we do have is uh, a link to uh, the John Hopkins Coronavirus Research Center, and I have to zoom in to see it. And so every day we update those kind of risk heat maps, and we have other uh, risk heat maps. But in terms of the crisis right now, it's which countries are the most you know hit by um, by the coronavirus and which country are shutting down. And so we're able to map the supply chain. And if you know where your suppliers are, you're able to see the impact it's going to have uh, based on where they are in the world. So um, that's one thing we've been doing a lot for our clients that already map their supply chain on the enterprise software. Most of the time they're more interested in mapping to know where deforestation is going on. Where is the deforestation? This is the tree cover loss and try not to go into too much detail, but um, tree cover loss in the, in the world. And for example, Timberland mapped their supply chain down to the cattle, down to the farm, to make sure that there was no leather coming from Brazil. And if it was coming from Brazil, there was no um, deforestation involved with the, with the farms. So this is the kind of work we do behind closed doors. And when they feel confident that um, the information they have is true and that they know everything, some of them go to the transparency part, which is the open source and tell the story. It's still, still very hard for some companies to do that. And so why we're super inspired to work with the canvas is for us, more people are transparent, more it becomes a new normal, more big brands will also want to do it, or we have to do it. Uh, and transparency, it's, you know, it brings accountability. So if something happened, if you're transparent, then everyone is accountable. And so we, we believe that it will drive positive impact, both for the environment and for people. That's kind of the logic behind behind what all or what we do.
0: Amazing. Thank you very much. It's very exciting.
1: Yeah, no problem. So that's mostly what I wanted to share. I don't know. I'm trying to see if I responded to all your questions.
0: That's, that's perfect. And I think we'll, we'll move back to you first once we uh, once we make our way through. Thank you, Juliet. Yeah,
3: thanks.
0: Awesome. So, we are going to move on to Brian of Eden Hemp. Um, Eden Hemp is an amazing company. They're the first company uh, licensed to grow hemp in New York in over 80 years. Uh, they are fighting the, the stigma around this amazing um, substance from Earth that, that has just brought on so much chaos and, and controversy. And they're doing it in a way that I think uh, really sets the tone for. Not just uh, fashion brands and, and and brands making product of all kinds, but really in terms of transparency and um, and, and just branding overall, so we 're very excited to have you, Brian. please uh, tell us where you are, how you 're doing and, and all about you have
4: yeah, well thanks, Steph, and i 'm really happy to be here and Julia, that was interesting in uh, hearing what you guys are doing too. I think there's definitely uh, ways we can connect, but um, We're a New York based company Uh, as of now, everything is framed through uh, the lens of COVID response. And so we have uh, left the city and we're in our upstate uh, dwellings. I'm in the town of Calicoon and then uh, my partner is Mark and Dan are upstate further north about two hours in the town of Eaton, hence the name Eaton Hemp. Um, You know, we're doing well. We've uh, we kind of saw the writing on the wall and, and try to build resilience into um, our model. So we had a bunch of redundancies in place for production and also for just setting up outposts for fulfillment. So we've been able to respond pretty nicely, which has been good. But, um, you know, it's certainly some wild times and, and uh, changes is, is the name of the game. Um, but, you know, I think uh, that also frames, um, you know, the time that we're in. I think that while this is challenging for everyone, there's also a great opportunity within this. I think there's a transformation that we're going through as individuals and as uh, society. And while I'm not looking to downplay at all the severity of, of the situation and the illness and, and death that's happening, I think um, the more that we could see that opportunity and afford this as a chance for us to be more connected with each other, with our sources, our supply chain, with our service providers, farmers. And you know another thing, and I think this is a perfect example of it, I've seen how technology has been recalibrated in a nice way. People are using it much more intentionally and responsibly. And I think that's another opportunity for how we take this Um, you know, moment of time and help to inform what this new reality looks like, because there's certainly no going back to an old normal. And so it's really a matter of how we can adopt these principles and really put them in place. And uh, this collective experience on a global scale, but also within companies where you have everyone from the minimum wage workers all the way up to CEOs who are going through the same experience. I think that's the, the big opportunity here. Um, so, you know, we're, I'm looking at that as an individual, but also as a company, we're, we're looking at that and really asking those, those big questions. Um, you know, we've been able to respond uh, locally in New York State by donating thousands and thousands of units of, of food-based products, hemp-based food products, and uh, serving those that are in need at this time. And so, you know, it's been really interesting to see how, how we can mobilize things in this time. Um, And, you know, I mean, I just was able to make a couple of calls to, for instance, uh, distributors or or folks that have other clients who have food products and ask if they had any aging inventory or anything that they would be willing to donate. And really quickly, you know, pallets of product were were donated. So it's, um, you know, it's always a nice thing when there's this rapid innovation that could come about from these extreme circumstances. so that's really about um, where I am and you know uh, how I'm doing in these strange times. But then moving over to a, a more broad sense of what we do, uh, Eaton Hemp is a hemp wellness company. Uh, my partners Dan and Mark own an organic farm in upstate New York in the town of Eaton. Like I said, over 2,500 acres. Uh, this farm is very special. Mark, um, you know, originally took three defunct dairy farms and uh, you know rehabbed the land and restored it and then went through the lengthy process of converting that to organic. Um, They then started to grow hemp without there being any legal way for them to harvest that hemp. Well Dan comes from a government background and was able to work with the with the policymakers to rewrite legislation and to really be on the forefront of legalizing hemp, and the 2018 Farm Bill did legalize hemp. But you know, in the U.S., I know we have people from around the world, and it might seem you know odd, but in the U.S. Um, hemp was classified as a Schedule One narcotic for a long time, and so there's a lot of stigma around it. There's a lot of misinformation, so we've really been um, doing a lot of work to unravel that and reconnect people with the power of hemp. Hemp is an absolutely incredible plant, um, both from you know areas of eating and and medicine, but also to all other industries such as um, you know, materials for construction and plastics and even fuel and then textiles. And so, you know, we, we definitely see opportunity in all of these areas. We chose strategically to start with uh, the food and, and kind of supplement space because it was the, um, in that adjacent possible where people could accept that. Also, you know, infrastructure for industry needs to adapt for things like textile. I know we're talking to a lot of people in fashion, so that's an important one. But the infrastructure in the U.S. is set up for cotton, and um, the, the infrastructure needs to evolve. But as investment and, and entrepreneurs are, are really active and engaged in this space, it's getting there. But, um, you know, for, for where we are now, you know, we're first and foremost a values-driven company. And reverence, stewardship, and transparency uh, drive everything that we do. And, uh, you know, we didn't start this company saying, hey, we're going to get in the CBD space because it was this hot thing. We really looked at the plant and, and we took a full year of just doing R&D and really exploring different applications for hemp. And, you know, after deciding that where the market was um, the hemp made the most sense, we, um, you know, developed a line of um, hemp snack products from seeds that we have. And then we also have a line of um, hemp squares, which are like baked granola bites. And then we also, um, you know, we're looking at the CBD space for a long time because we really believe in the power of CBD to regulate our health. And, and you know, ultimately my mission and our mission as a company is to empower people to take their own health into their own hands. And so I see CBD as a great way to do that. Our CBD products, we have tinctures, we have um, topical salves, and we also have um, smokable flour. And uh, you know what we really looked at before we entered that space was making sure that we could do it in a way that lived up to our values and really honored um, both the plant, the planet, and uh, you know the quality of product. And so we waited for USDA organic to start certifying CBD products, and we were one of the first uh, USDA organic uh, CBD products to come to market. And that's a really important one in this case because hemp is a phytoremediation uh, plant, which means it pulls all of the good nutrients from the soil, but it'll also pull the toxins. So it was used in uh, Fukushima after the you know, nuclear disasters. Um, it was also used in Chernobyl to help clean up that mess. So for us, you know, having that organic is really important. I'm not gonna go too much deeper into that, but that, that was one of the reasons why you know, it was important to have organic and to have that transparency. And so, you know, the way that we approach it is really trying to inform folks about, um, you know, how to use CBD, how it works with the body's natural endocannabinoid system. Um, And so we take a a big stance on education. We've teamed up with different medical professionals and labs and and athletes that can really help to shine lights on different areas of this. And we're actually, uh, we've been doing these uh, informational webinars. We're going to be doing one. With uh, the canvas in a couple of weeks, so we're really excited about that. Uh, maybe we could send out the details for that in a follow up. But um, yeah, so you know, these are some of the things that we do, and and um, and uh, you know, as far as that the next question of being predictions for the future of our industry and practice, I've touched on a little of this. Um, you know, one thing for certain right now is that there'll be a lot of uncertainty. Um, we're really focused more on our agility and. A bit- innovate and rapidly respond, Then we are about looking into that crystal ball. Um, it's, you know, it's one thing that we know is that people are going through a, a large level of stress and anxiety, and uh, the importance of immune system health is more important than ever. And so we're definitely focusing on, you know, CBD products to help to aid in that and innovating in that area with products that can, you know, further their, um, That's really, you know, um, what we're looking at right now. And, uh, you know, I think as an industry, there's certainly going to be a lot more innovation coming about. But I also see sustainability in in farming practices in all industry being even more critical. Um, I think this, again, period is a recalibration. So we're going to be looking at that infrastructure. And, uh, yeah, you know, we've been working with farmers across the country, building this network of farmers who grow hemp with us and for us and uh, we plan on continue to, to do so to help revitalize the agricultural landscape uh, there. So that's, uh, that's really my, my story in a nutshell. Uh, happy to go into anything else if you'd like, Devin, but I know we're uh, tight on time.
0: Oh, that's, that's great. Um, if you wanna talk a little bit more about the, the fashion side of things and textile, I know that's not your main focus right now, Yeah. Um, but will it be in the future? Is it something that you're looking at? And- and sort of how do you see that playing into the, the small and medium-sized brands of the world, giving them access to uh, something like your, your supply?
4: Absolutely. Um, you know, textile and, and uh, that, that part of the industry is something we've been looking at since the beginning. And, and we are having ongoing conversations with folks that are in this area. Um, like I said, you know, infrastructure is the thing that's still really coming, coming online. Uh, So I think, uh, you know, we will see that happen. I don't have a good gauge on on timeline of what that's going to look like, but, uh, but I think that, you know, as it does, we could expect to have uh, much more affordable uh, materials here in the U.S. and, you know, obviously um, being sustainably grown and um, very earth friendly is going to be a big part of that narrative. Uh, I think we're seeing that shift in a lot of fashion from, you know, everything from, Um, leather from cactus to, um, you know, hemp-based products that are out there and everything in between. Uh, You know, I I think I've even seen a bunch of, you know, mushroom uh, uh, fabrics. And so I think, you know, these natural uh, living uh, fibers are going to be more prevalent as we move forward. I wish I could give you a more specific answer on when that's going to happen, but best I could say is we're continuously looking at that. and, And, you know, we're we're taking every next step to help move the industry forward in, in the state of New York and in the country. Um, we're, we're doing some products such as um, hemp mulch that you know, again get into helping people care for the land and their, um, you know, their, their properties and also their animals, using it as pet bedding. So all of these are moving it forward in the right direction. And the more that this starts to snowball, the faster all of this is going to come online. So, I mean, what I would say, you know, to those out there who are interested in this space, which I think all of you are, just keep on asking these questions, having conversations, because the more that we hear this, uh, you know, chatter, the, the faster it seems to um, speed up the uh, process.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Brian. Um, so with that, I think we, we have our third guest coming very soon, but we'll, um, we'll open it up for questions for both Juliet and Brian now. So if anyone wants to jump in, um, we'll actually start going from the chat. Uh, we have Sarah or Robin. Um, we're gonna start with the questions, uh, not from the Canvas team, but, but from our guests. So echoing Kate's question about verification for Juliet here, um, is there an internal verification system or person uh, that, that helps sort of trace the steps in the supply chain?
1: Um, yes, we have, we have a couple of levels. So basically, when we do what we call discovery, which is discovering who are your you know, different levels down to the farms, often the, the how we do that is we invite your known suppliers, the people you are buying stuff from, your, your direct suppliers, and asking them, when you supplies, if it's Timbaland Leather to me, who are your suppliers? We don't care about all of them. We just care about the one that you're using for Timbaland or for BMW, if it's for cards." and they give you a list. Often the first time they don't give you the full list but uh, they give a list and then we invite those people in cascading and uh, or when we talk about certification, provide the certification, we can ask them for evidence. So like the actual certificates. So we can collect documents, that's the first level. The second level is when we invite the sub suppliers is to ask them can you acknowledge or can you verify that you're actually working with this guys that they say you were working with uh, with him. And then, so that's kind of the high level stuff. When we really need a real due diligence process to verify things, what we do, we do what we call, it's called reconciling volumes. That's what we call traceability. So to give you an idea, especially in fashion to avoid subcontracting or illegal subcontracting. It's not always illegal to do it. It's illegal when it's sweatshops uh we look at how much for example t-shirts you're buying a factory and if during the first round you ask the factories how many people work for you do you have subcontractor and if they say I don't know hundred people in Bangladesh and no I don't subcontract but you're buying hundreds of thousands of t-shirts from them the software will say that that's not possible a factory that size with that many people with that subcontracting there's no way um, they're making that many things. So there's a high chance that there is um, something wrong. And we do, we apply the same logic to food. When we know the size of the farm and we look at, we work a lot in cocoa. So how much the farm is saying it's producing, but we know it's not possible, there's a high chance then that it's selling cocoa from illegal farms that are potentially in a protected area or something. So we do reconciling, we reconcile volumes for any kind of things. Um, mostly to be honest it's used not so much yet for social so like subcontracting and sweatshops it's mostly used for certified products responsible down uh, certified cocoa because there's a premium and there's often a high risk around these commodities to be attacked canada Goose is a great example like they try to have their own standard on down and on fur and Lots of NGOs found out that it's, it's not good enough and it's not actually certified or it's, it's done in, in terrible condition for animal welfare. So they're being attacked on this. Our clients, uh, do not face, really wanted to avoid that at all costs. So they invested in traceability and this kind of verification to make sure that whatever happens, they're sure it's certified, it's sure it's done in good condition. If they're ever attacked, they have the proof to say, no, no, we're verified and we are like super backed up with data.
0: this sort of brings me to a a question for both you and uh and brian obviously a big part of the hemp situation is the regulation around it the tracking the traceability and, and making sure governments um can sort of follow what's happening is there any potential for collaboration between a company like yours and and yours brian where um you're really opening the network you're you're being very transparent about where everything is coming from how much is being produced is that something that could be useful for uh, for for more businesses getting set up in this industry.
4: Yeah, I definitely think it, it can be. Um, it's it's very interesting. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, transparency is one of our core values, and it's it's critical. I mean, you know, on every one of our products, there's a QR code. You could you know bring pull that up, and it takes you right to our third party lab testing and. You know, gives that full clarity. We were also looking into ways to blockchain the product to really give full, um, you know, full look at that. The other thing, Juliette, that I'll throw out there that I'd be curious about is one, one of the challenges in the hemp industry is not just um, legally getting it through through one channel, but it's that there's this um, this fragmentation of there's the state and federal level, but then you're also dealing with things such as, You know, payment processors online and then you're dealing, you know, so that's the bank part of it. And then you have things like social media where their policies aren't necessarily aligned with the law. And so there's a lot of nuance and challenge to navigate. And and those can be very debilitating, especially for small startups.
1: No, yeah, definitely. And uh, we've seen it for us because we have lots of European clients, and there's this uh, GDPR law, which I never remember exactly, but it's about data privacy. So basically, uh, we need to collect, for example, especially when we go down to the farm in Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire, India, we need, if our clients are Europeans, we need to collect consent uh, from those farmers to uh, share some of their personal data in it. Because the big brands are like, oh, we want to do training, we want to know how many female farmers are you know involved but this is uh, private or personal data so how do we um, manage all this and and that's real real questions um, we I mean the people that designed the software um, really actually had in mind and we really we have a very similar technology than social media weirdly enough even though we don't uh, necessarily uh, share it publicly most of the data we have it's just because supply chain is changing all the times and regulations and how people call their supply chain or how they build their supply chain is changing every all the time so a bit like a social network so that's how we designed the software so we can adapt to those but yes we, we do have I encounter those kind of issues sometimes, and it's very true that for smaller brands uh, that don't have like a uh, five lawyers in their team to check all the new regulations and all the new things, it's it's very it can be very challenging. Uh, sometimes, definitely. Uh, what we've seen on the transparency side is that they've usually uh, less try to share and be transparent. While, for example, VF, we've been working with them for a while. But the first transparency map was ready in 2017. It took them a year internally to make sure to, to actually publish it because they were so afraid, legally speaking, of what does that mean if we say that? What does that mean if the NGOs see that? And, and, and actually, transparency was from our experience always been rewarded, even though maybe not 100 percent was accurate by the time it was published. But being you know engaging on those issues, it's always been rewarded by, by the clients and the NGOs and the, you know, just the
0: other communities. Amazing. Thank you, Juliet. Um, so we're going to make a quick pivot now because we're, we're now joined by uh, Zoe and Xander Schultz of When We Band Together. Zoe and Xander, can you hear me okay?
2: Yeah, we can hear you great.
0: Amazing. Great to I finally see you guys. Um, no, I was re- reminiscing yesterday on our 70 email, email chain <laughs> that seems to have <laughs> uh, gone back like three months now. Um, but we're excited to, to finally be moving this collaboration forward and to have you here at the town hall. Um, I know that today is a very busy day for you guys. So we, we, want, uh, we want you guys to be able to tell the whole story um, uh, you know, as, as, as quickly as you can um, and get back to it. But I, I think where you are and, and how you are and what you're doing right now is, um, is extremely important. So um, if you can start with that and tell us a bit about uh, what the nonprofit does.
5: Thank you. Uh, nice, nice to be here. Thank you for having us. Uh, we're Xander and Zoe, husband and wife co founders of When We Band Together. And we originally got connected um, through, well, we're, we're a refugee aid organization. And our main goal right now is creating safe and positive places for displaced people. We started back in 2015 by creating bracelets made from the life jackets that refugees I'll wear. and this is how we got connected um we're working with kate now and who is designing bags and hats out of the out of the life vest material and in 2015 2016 there was thousands of people arriving every day leaving the coast of turkey into an island called lesbos greece and um these life vests just accumulated by the thousands building up all around the all along the beaches and um yeah, so here we are five years later, um, and currently working on transforming our community center into a COVID-19 health clinic. So in the last 20 days, we partnered with Doctors Without Borders, um, who has basically transformed this warehouse space into an emergency isolation and treatment treatment clinic, and it opens today. So
2: yeah,
5: yeah, it's, it's been day. such it's been such a <laughs> whirlwind. Uh, yeah. But fortunately, you know the 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 virus hasn't reached the camps yet. So the main the main camp on Lesbos Island is Moria refugee camp, and it's um, you know it's a camp designed for 2,500 people, and there's 20,000 people there right now, and the conditions are just awful, um, very 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 lacking sanitation. Um, not no not running water throughout the whole day and so it's just like a breeding ground for this virus so it's almost been a miracle that it hasn't hit the camps yet um Mm -hmm. but unfortunately they just discovered two cases yesterday with new new arrivals that just came by boat from turkey um so they're they're treating and isolating those people now and you know we're just kind of hoping hoping for the best
2: yeah we're 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 very lucky that the virus hasn't hit this camp yet because it's allowed us to stand up some of the infrastructure you need to make sure this uh, this doesn't get out of hand over there. And so along with the COVID-19 clinic, we also, uh, and this is very much you know, in the vein of Canvas, we, we purchased a bunch of sewing machines and the refugee volunteers sewed the masks for the entire camp uh, and then made enough for the local population. And then we ended up shipping some to uh, populations in the United States. Um, everything from you know other organizations fighting for freedom like black lives matter to church groups in the south to try to persuade people uh to see the humanity in refugees
0: amazing thank you guys um just to go into a bit more detail about sort of what's happening on the ground there um do you see this uh improving soon is the situation getting better because of the fact that uh you know as it spread the world refugees we're a bit isolated from, from populations that were carrying it. Um, is there an opportunity here to make sure that they actually um, are, are safe and, and sound throughout this situation in a way that uh, the rest of the world, as interconnected as we are, aren't? Um, and that allows for perhaps a, a renowned and renewed focus on the refugee facilities, camps, and, and the process that you guys are currently uh, working on right now. Is that something that you're optimistic about?
2: You know, I'd love to. I'd love to say yes. There, it, it was. It was kind of like a who knows what's good or bad situation, to be honest. Because prior to the virus outbreak, there was uh, a bunch of hate crimes happening. The authorities were getting pretty militant. Um, there's even fights between the locals and authorities about who should, you know, if if they should have a closed camp, you know, if they should set up a second camp, et cetera. And then all of that led to them shutting down the ability to enter these camps and serve these people from international NGOs, which like at face value at the time, you thought, you know, was awful, right? There's less services going in there's less things being provided, but, you know, looking back on it, having less international volunteers in and out of that camp for the month preceding uh, this, this outbreak might have, you know, been the reason it hasn't hit there yet. Uh, In terms of like forward looking, you know, is there a sense of solidarity? Is there a sense of, um i think like anything else right now in the world it seems like we're we're being polarized and keep being polarized so for the folks who are scared and fear the other they're more scared and fear the other more and for the folks who you know but other people are seeing that and being activated more and leaning more into service and being more civically engaged so i'd say like for a nonprofit like ours we'll probably see better outcomes because people have a uh a stronger desire to, to be the resistance uh, but politically you know you're the resistance for a reason it's when you're not winning politically and so politically um, it, it's to be to be seen whether you know we can actually do the things that that need to be done which is win elections and get people elected that you know believe in providing asylum believe in humane conditions like all these things and aren't using you know immigrants and refugees as a scapegoat you know for some problems and so so I, I can't, like, I, I don't know if anyone can speak to politically where we're headed right now, but, uh, but I do see more and more people feeling like they want to be activated and a participant in this moment in, in helping marginalized people.
0: All right, There's uh, an increasing awareness around refugees and, and it's, it's sort of being brought into the mainstream, especially in fashion, a bit commercially. Um, I'm wondering what you're thinking of that. Obviously we're about to launch a collaboration where uh, we're balancing bringing uh, bringing this product uh, to, to a wider audience, telling the story of when we band been together, um, but also making it accessible in a way that supports and gives back to all the, all the parties involved, all the stakeholders. Um, there was a, recently a huge runway show in, in uh, I think it was Florence at, at uh, Pitti Uomo. Um, what do you think of this and, and sort of refugees' position and sort of the, um, is it ever used incorrectly? Is, is the situation sort of politicized in a way uh, that you feel being on the ground is completely unfair and sort of actually counter to the movement, even if the intentions are positive.
2: No, no, I, I don't think I don't think I think attention is is important here. You know, I, I say, if anything, what I'm most worried about is um, this falling into the landscape of all the other injustices that become just the, the, the you know, the par for the course It becomes the new norm. You're like oh th- yeah we you know in europe sometimes you have camps of twenty thousand people where people don't have running water right that's like people are astonished when they see this place and can't believe they're in europe right this is worse than refugee camps in you know in africa in the middle east you know a lot of places we have people that we work with that have been all over and say it's the worst camp they've seen now right now it's being talked about as the refugee crisis still and you know and that framing helps but uh you know we're, we're far along now right like we're a little disappointed we, we were volunteering there at the height of this thing to see that the camp kind of looks the same, and that's not due, you know, at the time when we were there, it was kind of acceptable, you're like, look, this is all happening fast, we're trying to get things set up quickly, not everything's going to be efficient, not everything's going to be perfect, but five years later, you've had some time to invest in better systems, and so um, that's been intentional, that lack of investment, and, and like the longer it goes on, the longer the resistance side of it, the people who are fighting for the crisis kind of taper off over time, you know, in terms of fighting for like systemic justice versus like get, getting involved in just the nonprofit world. Now to your point about the fashion industry and like other types of awareness in the private sector, um, it's always helpful when you have a symbol, right? And this life fest has truly become the symbol of the refugee crisis. And and that's a, um, that's a strong starting point. And uh, hopefully we can be part of the solution that facilitates bringing this tangible connection to this crisis and when you when you hold this material when you feel it and you reflect on someone put this on themselves or their kid not knowing they're going to live through this journey there's been over five thousand people have drowned on this short journey you can see the other side if you, you know if you've been to the bay area it looks like six, looking at six open, miles you know and so someone put that on knowing knowing that danger how bad must it have been for them these aren't these aren't people that are trying to invade your country you know, the, the risk they take. So the more we can get people talking about that, wearing that, getting their community to ask questions about that, the better. And I think fashion has a huge role to play in that.
0: Amazing. Thank you. Um, with that, we're going to open this up a bit to, to questions. I know Xander and Zoe, you guys um, didn't hear from Juliet and Brian, but um, I think we'll start then with Juliet's question for you. Uh, Julia, if you want to give a, a bit of background um, and then go right into the question, perhaps just so that I have some context sure. for, for what you do.
1: Sure. So um, hi, <laughs> I'm Julia. So I work for SourceMap. we're a tech companies, and we we've been trying. We are also, you know, um, trying to to bring the purpose of transparency to fashion brands, to, to to all that, and we encounter this. I think it's an NGO as well called Tech Fugies. Mm-hmm yeah i was wondering if you guys were working with them we're trying to work with them to build a platform where we can bring transparency to all the camps and to all the initiative cool initiatives that are out there for specifically for refugees and trying to bring that to more people so they can get more funding but as well to get more collaboration between different ngos and initiatives and we're just curious to uh, see if you guys were, were working on it yeah,
2: I'm not really familiar with tech through gs but that doesn't mean they're not on Lesbos. No. We're in the no. Process of shifting from a kind of uh, a grant maker in a lot of ways when we're selling these braces, et cetera, too. We've hired our first couple employees on the island. We've rented a property, we're now boots on the ground. So I think we're still we know a lot of the organizations, but we haven't mapped the entire island like that. Um, I'll say though, I'll say this: look, our model is to rent properties and warehouses in these spaces. And then stand them up as resource centers and community centers for this community. Mm-hmm. So we, our model is one of partnership. We're partnered with MSF on the hospital, and we'd love to bring you know computer programming, computer literacy, and all those to the island. Like the cool thing about our organization, and the sad thing about the situation, is everything's needed, mm-hmm. and so people can lean in whatever they they want. And the fact of the matter is, if you step, set up these intentional spaces that these people have access to, there is you know teachers and educators and coaches within this community already and there's lots of NGOs that are happy to bring in a person or two uh you know we can't make the commitment to, to rent an entire space and don't have the people on the ground to do it but they can bring in a person or two and you know some equipment and set those things up so we'd love to collaborate with them you know even with canvas we bought a bunch of sewing machines for that mask you know that mask initiative and like it'd be great to have a workshop out there you know for the refugees to be you know, making fat, you know, making clothes and understanding how to, how to be involved in the garment industry and, uh, and that as well. So like, we're really, we're really, look, our organization is called, when we band together, Like the whole thing's supposed to be collaborative. So, so we're open to all collaborations.
5: Yeah. And we found like, we found it's just, it's just about exposure. If you're looking for, you know, support out here in the West, we're, that's what we're just trying to be the bridge for people out here to just shine light what's happening over there and about all the talented people and just, all they, all they really need is just some resources to get up and running. And um, you know, if we can bring closure and bring that, a lot can happen.
0: Just as I look at the Zoom right now, we're joined by people from, I think, over 10 countries, um, all different fashion design backgrounds and, and processes. So uh, we're gonna make sure to include Zoe and Xander's information um, in, in the recap so that everyone has an opportunity to connect with them and, and, and explore um, any collaboration that, that might be possible. So, um, Xander and Zoe, thank you. I know that you guys are short on time. You're very welcome to stay as long as you can. Um, we're gonna open it up for questions for everyone. So um, with that, everyone is uh, welcome to sort of just jump in. Um, so we'll we'll give it a, a moment if anyone wants to, to begin and, and get us started.
6: Uh, well, I do have a question for Xander and Zoe. Um, have you gotten an idea or sense about how this, the entire COVID nineteen situation, uh, you know, obviously putting a lot of stress on the um, monetary policy of a lot of EU countries, how will influence government spending or resources going to uh, refugee aid and asylum?
2: You know, I, I I'd be lying if I, I said I had a good sense of that. I think we're starting to build an advisory council that is higher up the chain than us in terms of like having those conversations, being in the European parliament, understanding that, um, in, in a sense for us, it's, um, in some ways it's irrelevant. Cause we got to do the work either way, no matter what happens. It's, it's, I don't think there's a future where all the gaps are filled anytime soon. Um, but there is like probably a scary potential for, for more gaps to go unfilled. Um, you know, and so, so, You know, we can't really do anything other than, you know, hope hope that that's not the case and and hope people lean in. We've seen already when new boats arrive, um, they've been quarantined on the edge of the island for two weeks and not brought to the camps. Um, And the policies, the actions, I don't know if they're policies, I don't know if they're codified, but the actions by immigration uh, and border control have been really intense for the couple months preceding this. Definitely on the Turkish border and in the ocean, where they were turning a lot of boats back. there was a video of uh, one, one guy on a border patrol boat trying to pop a refugee boat. and so we know the policies in Greece have turned more nationalist, and you know, so if there's a reason to cut, cut the budget, you know if they can point at something as a reason to cut the budget, I imagine you know refugees are not a high priority in terms of like what you, what you continue to fund
3: -hmm
6: how is that situation evolving uh, on the Turkish border? Because it was quite a big item right before uh, COVID started. Um, also here in Belgium, we were looking at it closely, but um, I haven't heard much about it uh, in this moment.
2: Yeah, Erdogan was, you, you've you been up on the recent situation. I know basically the EU-Turkey deal ended, which was essentially a deal where the EU- EU is paying Turkey to provide asylum for refugees, meaning if refugees arrived in Europe and Greece, they didn't really have a viable asylum claim because they already had asylum in Turkey. Uh, that deal ended uh, like eight months ago. And Erdogan, was, you know, is basically, you know, I get it, you know, they've taken what, 4 million refugees. So I get why I was, you know, was saying it. But he was saying basically, you guys need to pay me or I'm going to open up the borders. And, and I'm not going to they're doing their own border patrol and pushing back boats back to Turkey as part of the deal. And he was basically saying, we're going to let them all go through. Like, and I didn't give a month, like the month in February, January when we were there, it's like 30 boats came through, but 600 attempted, right? Yeah. And so, uh, so that ended up happening. Er- Erdogan was saying like, hey, I'm not going to guard the coast anymore. Boats start coming more frequently. There were a lot of arrivals in February. But uh, that, since the pandemic, yeah. really slowed. It even stopped entirely for...
5: It was just one boat in the last 35 days. And on that one boat that just arrived um, last week, there was two, two COVID cases. Two COVID
2: cases, yeah. But I'm not sure, do you know why, Why like, a, along with the pandemic, just the border completely shut down and people stopped coming? I, I
5: don't know exactly. I know there's been border patrol, like, highly restricting on the Turkish and yeah. the Greek side. But to I don't I don't know exactly.
2: Yeah.
6: Well, I guess being in a place that you're familiar with is better than going somewhere where it's yeah. totally unknown in these days.
5: And, and in it, terms of the resources that are given to them, it, it's pretty non-existent. That's why the re- the refugee community themselves had to mobilize to make their own masks. You know, they weren't giving, given hand sanitizers. They weren't given masks. Yeah. They weren't given information about what's happening yeah. other than what they searched on their phones. So yeah. it's like, you we know, bought the
2: sanitizers from
5: yeah, we were yeah, we bought sanitizers from Holland and the, the refugee community themselves had to mix it and distribute it to the people in the camps. They made their own mask, you know, so it's like they, yeah. they really had to mobilize for themselves.
0: Okay, thank you. Next stuff. Brian, I I want to give you a chance to maybe connect dots that um that someone who's not in your position wouldn't be able to uh, see between what, what Zoe and Xander are doing and and hemp. Uh, for Zoe and Xander, Brian is running Eaton Hemp, one of the first um, uh, legalized hemp farms in New York right now. Uh, right I mean, if you see any sort of connections between between all the work that you guys are doing,
2: right on uh, between Eaton Hemp and, and our work.
0: We'll, we'll start with Brian and then because I know that um, Brian has heard what you guys are doing and and perhaps that will spark yeah, yeah. it. Thanks.
4: Uh, yeah, it's it's always this challenge of. Um, cobbling together a lot of different partners that um you know don't necessarily have full uh you know exposure to what's happening on the other side and then also navigating any of the uh legal challenges and i mean you guys obviously have a much more severe and, and uh serious uh you know circumstance where you're dealing with people's lives and and uh you know i think that's a whole other level but um you know i think uh getting people and i heard juliet and how you're speaking as well i think getting people to really start sharing uh, transparently is really challenging i think a lot of our businesses are set up to really protect and and hide this stuff and only reveal it if it gets exposed and so i think this uh notion of uh being vulnerable and and putting ourselves out there first uh is contagious and i think you know getting Getting others inspired to start doing that, and, and and not looking at what the risk is if I do this, but really what the the collective benefit is, um, you know, I think that's one of the best ways we could all individually and collectively really try to shift the the tides. But it's a uh, you know it's a tough situation, and uh, you know my heart goes out to you guys navigating the space where you're dealing with such politics that are that are happening behind the scenes, and I'm sure it's very frustrating because you don't even get to see a lot of what's informing decisions that are, are being made.
2: You know, that's, that's part of why we leaned into our model of like, not, we don't work within the refugee camp. We rent the properties surrounding it because we we basically were like, all right, if we can't, you know, if we don't have influence there, what we can do is take ownership and influence these places around us. And it's an open camp. And we, you know, last year in 20, 2019, we supported a place called the Hope and Peace Center, which was a, Uh, warehouse across the street from the refugee camp that they converted to a bounce house and a soccer field and a playground. And so all the kids just got to walk right out of the street and then hang out with us all day, you know? And so their experience wasn't a refugee camp. It was a playground. And so, um, so we do, we, we have kind of found a way to hack the system and have a little more autonomy and, and, and try to ensure their lives are, you know, 80% in the, in some good places. If we can stand all these places up. And I'll say this for, you know, participation in the fashion and garment industry, if we were able to create a place over there, the thing that's mainly missing in the refugee experience, honestly, like people can be cold, people can be hungry. If people lose a sense of purpose and growth, it can be really, really, really difficult. So having simple things that people can work towards and build a skill set around is absolutely massive, especially something as tangible as making clothes, which they also happen to need at times. And so, um we don't have the know-how and the industry expertise to figure out how to do that but i know standing up something like that would not be all that expensive and it would give so many people a sense of purpose a sense of dignity and then you all can probably figure out how to connect the dots in terms of like can that now become a, a, also a source of like revenue and commerce you know that's we, we don't know how to do that great we sold some bracelets but but you know we're, we're no by no means experts in the fashion industry and so um Things like that make all the difference in the world for these folks. Thank you guys. Yeah,
4: I love hearing that you guys are empowering the, the refugees to take on these tasks internally. I think that's something that's just hypercritical both for their, their psyche and, and you know, staying positive, but also it's you know, infectious that spreads and, and people then start you know, uh, locally figuring out how to solve challenges that are happening on the ground. So kudos there.
0: So one common theme I think between all of our presenters is uh, transparency and, and traceability. Um, Juliet, can you speak to a bit about how perhaps source map and technologies like it would be able to sort of increase the um, the amount of insight that the public can have on both something like hemp, where it's coming from, and also something like refugees. If you know we're we're working on this collaboration now with When We Ban Together, um, how do we make sure that the the people that are producing the garments are um, getting a, you know, a, a swift return uh, from whatever commerce is coming out of that. Um, Zoe and Xander, what, you know, what, what role can you be as the intermediary there? And how do we make that publicly accessible, like a, like a library that anyone can um, enter in and, and very easily understand exactly all the, the moving parts of, uh, of a complex system like this?
1: Sure. Well, we, we, uh you know source map we're known for our maps and you know we do we do many things and we found that maps were a very intuitive easy way to explain how things are made and people don't i think most people and and here you know i think mean, you're all pretty well educated on fashion um you know how many you know different people are involved in just making one product i think most people don't understand that um, and perhaps, you know, I don't know anything or almost anything about hence So, also how, you know, how this product is made, um, uh, you know, what the different steps. So we, that's how we use the maps for, and we make them public. So can people actually, you know, discover things themselves and kind of, uh, uh use that. And, and it's a, for us, it's a great way because you can share pictures, you can share videos or stories or initiatives or how things are made and just educating and bringing that to the public. Um, that's really what we wanted to do. What we've seen is even though people start to be transparent even in our experience, I don't know if they're shy or I don't know why, They will very few will put it on the tag of a close. That you could you know just scan the QR codes or uh, it's not on the front of their website so I think there's lots of you know opportunities there to bring it more on social media, for example um, but yeah we, we're happy and, and you know open is it's called open <laughs> so everyone can, can use it uh, happy to, to collaborate and try to bring those issues to to other people. I think we, we have the tools the technology. It's, it's how How we put it in front of people and people know that it exists that can be sometimes challenging.
0: Thank you Juliet. So with that we'll we'll open it up one more time for for any more questions from brands and, and guests.
3: I have a quick question for Zoe and Xander. It's nice to finally meet you guys like Devin said after all the emails and and back and forth but we obviously have this pretty great group of very motivated people to get involved in things and to really try and make differences here. And we're going through a really difficult time as a planet right now. Is there anything that we as a group of people can do to try and support what you guys are doing in Greece? Can we send supplies? Can we do anything to try and help people who are obviously being very kind of set aside during this whole crisis?
2: Yeah, 100%. There's there's so much to be done. Um, you know, right now, our primary focus is making sure we pay the rent and utilities at this hospital so these people have access to that service. But with that said, you know, especially considering the expertise here, one thing we do have access to, as we've spoken about, is a million plus life vests that have been discarded in lesbos too and so if people have ideas around using it as a source material i know we talked to people like bionic yarn who use ocean plastics to create a fabric and talk to them for a while about like hey do you think you could source you know use this as a source material or a partial source material and tell a story around that we don't really you know we started those conversations at the end of the day we didn't know enough about how, how to get exactly. deeper in those conversations um and then uh and so so i think there's a bunch of ideas around there in terms of like access to the source material, the rubber boats, et cetera. Um, in terms of like what might be easiest for your crew and just, you know, being able to use those materials to then both drive awareness and send resources back to the, to the island. We love those types of partnerships. That was kind of how we were born, you know, as out, of, out of those types of partnerships. And then also, you know, you'd be amazed at um, how little money it takes to stand up something really, really awesome. Like this hospital, rent at this hospital, you know, which is pretty significant in size, is three grand a month. So it's costing us three grand a month to rent out, you know, a, a giant lot that has six giant uh, mm. Doctors Without Borders tents and then two warehouses uh, that can serve, isolate and serve a lot of people. And so property is not that expensive there. And a lot of times property is what's needed. And so if you have something you're passionate about, if you're passionate about education, if you're passionate about fashion, if you're passionate about, you know, sports, and think you can, you know, fundraise a bit, we can do something pretty, pretty exceptional together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll leave it at, go ahead. Yeah, else add?
5: both of those things, definitely. Um, but and then also pre-COVID and then post, you know, we get some more understanding around this, we lead tri- trips back to the island. That's so, a great point. so people can see, like, firsthand our work. You can, you know, we can, we can go to the community centers that we create. People can share their gifts. Like, for example we had you know we have a wrestler friend who's like created a whole workshop around that and um, it's just a way for to to really raise awareness and bring it, and create exposure and then it also you know helps the local economy that was really devastated yeah. by this crisis who um, you know who's been trying to deal with it and navigate it for the last 5 years as well yeah but anything you, i mean using the material we were so stoked with you guys because like you said there's a million vests and they've just created they've just been piling up in landfill um and the
2: mayor's excited for us to do something with it he's like great you can do whatever you want <laughs> you, yeah. can have, you can have them all just let me know what to do
5: all of the vests and boats were sold by the turkish mafia and a couple years in they found out that many of the vests were counterfeit and there was no way to know until after they would actually soak up water like yeah. a sponge instead so of repel be. water so they couldn't be reused yeah which is why we wanted to like cut them up and make something new of them but um yeah, they're just a, a true symbol over
3: there. Well we're we're so excited to continue this collaboration with you guys. And my uh my When We Band Together bracelet actually returned to the sea, unfortunately. Um it fell off when I was we actually when connected. I was a few months ago. But I have to say there is there is a real connection when you when you can touch and feel something like that and it's very powerful. So just my my uh awe and appreciation for what you guys are doing and the way that you've um put it into a context that people can really relate to. I think it's really incredible.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. grateful for the partnership for oh, sure. And we're and we're two normal people. Like we're not, you know, we, we didn't we were actually looking for a wedding venue in Greece when sure. we started and and you know that's how we got involved. So like, yeah, I, I think it is helpful that you know, we, we we look and sound like people who don't necessarily have like a vested interest in this I and mean, we're just trying to do something good for you know a group of people that's been you know largely forgotten. So yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you guys. Um once again we'll we'll leave a moment for any further questions from anyone and then I just wanna say while we have Juliet here, everyone will be um having the, the opportunity to load their supply chain onto SourceMap, the Canvas team is going to be doing a demo with the SourceMap team next week. So in about two weeks, we're going to begin that process of moving um, the data that you guys want to provide to us onto the SourceMap software uh, and really creating a, a visual map and supply chain where um, all of our guests and, our, and the people visiting our website can see how your clothing is made. So it's, it's a really amazing opportunity. I want to thank you again, Juliette, for uh, making that possible.
1: I have a question for Juliet. Um, okay. Does I apply? I mean, I'm sh- I don't know if you have any experience working in the joy industry. industry. Uh, yeah, the software doesn't uh, care which supply chain. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's like super loud in my eyes around. Book them. Uh, no, yeah, the software doesn't care which kind of supply chain it is as long as you want to share the data, especially the transparency part. Uh, but we've been working with some uh, jewelry companies. Unfortunately, we signed an NDA. They don't, want, <laughs> they don't want to say who they are at the moment. But um, yeah, no, we, it, it, it applies. We work with cosmetic, fashion, food, and elect- we're starting with electronics now as well. So really, it applies to, to any, any type of, um, of industry. And so what I understand the way it works is that we provide you the information and then you, you vet it, like right? you kind of uh, said about certification. Um, and, so there's two uh, pieces. We have the enterprise software where we do all that like hard work of vetting it and, and we can even try to collect data for you. Uh, and then there is this open source map, which we, Devin was talking about, which is more if you already have some of this information that you want to share with your consumers, that you can already put it out there and then link it and put it on your website or link it to a QR code or put it on social media. So it's kind mm-hmm. of, and it's separated on, on purpose for security reasons because one is public facing and the other one is more um, just, you know, meant for you and perhaps your, in, in, in your company. Um, so to avoid any security breach, we, we created two different software. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. No
2: we did have uh we did have one more thing to add we for- we forgot look we're looking for a new bracelet design too like we made these as two complete novices where we're just basically tying the, <laughs> tying the uh, bracelet together with a magnetic clasp it's it's not one size fits all and so like any experts out there that can help us think through how to how to take this material and easily make maybe something that's a little more unisex it's not quite as as big <laughs> and um, that, that more people can buy with confidence. We think the sizing probably stops a lot of sales and a lot of people from buying it. And so uh, any help on that front too? We, we wanted to throw that out there.
0: Well, Xander, we, the, you know, this is a very small um, portion of, of the community that we've built and we have some amazing designers on right now. Um, it would be amazing to see everyone's perspective and take on what a bracelet could look like. And, you know, we, we were talking internally the other day about we've kind of become a bit of like a nation state of small and medium sized brands. We were talking about having a flag yeah. um, where where basically every brand would would be able to design something, um, but it would be sort of an internal design prompt where we're all working on the same thing. And there would be 150 different um, end results. And I think the, the life jackets with the abundance that you guys have um, with those, it would be an amazing start there, and, and uh, you know, 150 brands from around the world, six continents, the, the, the amount of um, information sharing we can do from that would be amazing. I don't know if that would be of interest to anyone, Urak, um and kai to all the brands that you're working with, I'm, I'm thinking about how amazing that could be. Um, just an idea, but we'll-
7: And not, uh, not, not just in design, but also simply in the efficiency and the maximization of the actual resource. like and not to mention the distribution at this point. Um, I think that's a great idea. Uh, A trifecta question for everyone. My name is Robin, by the way. Uh, Brian, I was somehow thinking, so I, I kind of remembered overhearing this conversation on a flight between people that were talking about the properties of hemp and how they're useful. Have you guys considered getting to the scale where it can actually be used as construction material, because I've heard the properties of insulation and resistance are absurdly amazing compared to how they've been historically documented and replaced by very shitty materials in normal yep. construction. For Xander and Zoe, uh, at some point, you made a very touching comment, at least to me, where you defined the lack of investment in these camps as being intentional. I was hoping that maybe, if not just clarifying it from the ground, maybe give us your perspective as to why you think that's happening. And I know it's subjective and personal, but it is important at least to me to understand how that's possible. And then lastly for Juliette, I was wondering um, if ultimately the objective of source maps is to seek transparency. And yet the idea is that most companies are unwilling to be transparent until it's necessary what in fact is sort of like, if not your ideal customer, your ideal scenario, um, or, or what is the intent at the end of the day when you have to juggle business, which makes it possible for you to exist and have resources, and uh, you know that sort of human flame that sometimes might get out of control because you're dealing with people that have absolutely no interest in the vocation of your business and just want your software, really. Um, thank you.
4: Alright, I guess I'll start that off. We'll go in order. Um, so, so yeah, Robin, uh, as far as construction materials, I mean, look, hemp is it's not only uh, the most nutrient dense, uh, you know, food source, uh, plant based food source on the planet. Uh, In its applications. And so for construction materials in general, yeah, there's a lot around hempcrete, Um, you know, oak trees in this country have been pretty decimated over the years and and have, you know, not been um, sustainably replanted. And so that's been really taxing that. There's a company that launched that's making hemp wood which has the same, you know, properties of being. I think it's harder than oak, and and it has a beautiful looking grain. And so there are materials like that. Um, as I noted before, we're um, about to launch a mulch product where the absorbency is, you know, over three times more than. Traditional hay, and and so there's a lot of benefits. Um, it's more about is the market ready to accept this product? Have we overcome the stigma? Have we been able to break through the barriers of you know their traditional shopping habits? And obviously, in the large based construction um, materials, like yeah, there are some politics that get involved there. And so we're testing the market um, ourselves to to really gauge where people are at. If they're able to go over that hurdle and start using these products, but mobility aspect, I mean, look, we're running out of, of you know, materials, and, and um, hemp is definitely a great answer to that. And obviously, we'll see a lot more of that. We're actively testing that and exploring it. And as soon as we could bring things online, because the other part of it is it needs to work as a business in order to survive and, and in order to really make that impact. So those are the, the ways that we're approaching
2: it.
0: Thank you, Brian.
8: Zaner or Zoe. Yeah, I can. In terms of being intentional. Being intentional.
2: Yeah. So like, look, I think what's important to remember, like for Americans, as tr- as much as Trump seems like an anomaly. The, the type of conversations happening around the world, especially in you know, wealthy countries that have borders, is pretty similar. Um, and so a lot of Americans are familiar with what's happening with our you know, Me- Mexico border, where children are being separated from their families and you know, people are being held in really, really uh, terrible places. And so you know, with the hope of the strategy, uh, which is ill-founded, is um, that it's gonna be so bad people will stop. Word will get out that don't go there, they'll take your kid, it'll be awful, you know, you'll be stuck in these places, you might die in them, so don't even go, it's not worth it. Um, That is very similar to what's happening in a lot of other places, the Italians aren't picking up ships that are in the middle of the ocean, with the hope that people will stop going on these ship trips, because so many people are drowning, and uh, the Greeks are making it hard to get to Greece, and when you get there, you know, the refugee camp there is not great. And it's very, very, um, there's a complete lack of transparency on how to move forward. You can't tell when you're going to move forward. So people are stuck living in these tents, not even in the camp in the olive grove next to the tent camp for a year, two years plus at times. Um, and yeah. And so, so I think that's the hope is the word gets out. Don't go through Greece. Don't go through Lesbos. Um, in the same way we have it on our border. Uh, you know, I don't think they can say it out loud, but that's kind of what the guy ran on in the same way Trump ran on the Mexican border.
1: Um, and on, on my side, for the, for the questions, I guess, and, and, and that's how we get into a new industry. We started with food, and then with fashion, and it's always you know, about this ideal client, even though some of them are a bit, well, let's say shy. Um, it's having the ideal client for us is the big brands because there is the money leverage they have that starts this kind of let's do transparency. In food, it, for us, it was Mars, which six years ago, they said, We are going to ask all our suppliers about where the cocoa come from. And we're going to benchmark them and give back that benchmark to them, not publicly, but to them. And we're going to buy more for the ones that are more transparent. And that really drove the industry. And it took five years to get traceability down to the farm. And we only do it for certified cocoa at the moment. And we're only starting. So certified is like organic, fair trade rainforest alliance it's about 20% of the world cocoa and we are only getting there after five years uh working on it with with big brands for fashion uh for us it was vf because they said okay let's let's even though they took a year to be transparent let's let's do it and they had so much good publicity uh that that really drove other brands to try to copy them. I actually was on the call uh, with another brand, some adult brand, that said, "I don't want to be a leader, but VF is a leader. I want to be the follower. I want to be just one step, you know, behind VF. I don't want to invest in the, and be you know do crazy things. But because VF is so much advanced and so much transparent, this brand that's considered mainstream is like, well, I I have to do it now. Uh, and so for us, this kind of ideal client as those big. Uh, uh yeah there's those big innovator and in, I know for some time for some customer it doesn't seem like they're innovating by just putting a map out there but it's super innovative and super rare and um and that will in, in terms of business will bring us as well business because more people will want to be to be transparent and making it the new normal. Um, however, so that's as a business is my ideal clients. However, how do we push those innovator to become transparent is also with pressure from consumers, pressure from other small brands that uh, are going to be transparent and making it making it the new normal. Um, why I say my ideal customer is a big brand is because it does cost money when you, you're doing a new market to transparency, because no one is doing it. So in technology speaking, it's a lot of money. And what we, and so, So they are the one that can, you know, um, invest in it. And also what we found with another fashion brand that did it with us five years ago. We managed resource-wise to do it with them, but they got stuck by, now we know everything and we know everything that's wrong, but we're so small that our buying power, it doesn't leverage. Like we cannot change our suppliers. Like the suppliers will say, yeah, we maybe do, I don't know, subcontracts. But uh, if you're not happy with us, just go elsewhere. And and the, the brand being very small, couldn't really afford to do it. So what they did was very smart. They said, okay, for every new suppliers, we're going to vet them with this new process of transparency. But for the current suppliers, there's not much we can do. So that's also why Sometimes for us, as an ideal business, it's like a big brand or at least a brand that has a lot of visibility and getting a lot of market share, not only because they can invest in our technology but also because they have the power to change really the supply how supply chain is working do
3: you amazing. guys have any Sorry. do you guys have any information on kind of return on investment like I know the best way to make an argument to get someone involved in something is to make a financial argument, whether it's transparency or supporting refugees, the, whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. For, the, for our side, it depends on, we have three things. Um, when brands start to do it and they hire someone full-time, we say, well... If, and it, it's usually they're very overwhelming doing on Excel, we cheaper than a full-time person. So <laughs> that's the ROI. Um, the second is, especially in Europe, but more and more in the US as well, there is custom and borders regulations coming in where you need to, when you import food or you import uh, anything in the US or in Europe, you have to prove that there was no child labor or no deforestation depending on, 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 on the product in the supply chain. And uh, now your your, your stuff can get stuck at the border if you don't have uh, a report proving that it's not um, deforestation or child labor free or, or terrorism free for the US. And the, in the US has been uh, you know, existing for a long while, but it hasn't been really implemented and it's just started to be implemented in the last year or two. And fashion didn't really care because it's okay if your clothes get stuck for a day or two at the border food company really care about this because you cannot let veggies or any you know perishable um, uh, foods in the border on the tarmac in, in an airport. Um, so there's a big uh, thing here for them. And in terms of passions or even consumer goods in general, if there's a big backlash, like we, we got a lot of calls not uh, after Canada Goose lost 10% in shared because they got uh, Uh, backlash uh, for the down. We didn't necessarily get a call from Canada but from others when they saw that uh, 10% loss in shares or it's it's a lot. Investors start to be interested in supply chain when they see that.
3: You you think the transparency measures and, and companies being really open is something that is tangibly bringing in more customers, not just return on investment in the and the kind of salaries but are businesses that are transparent doing better in your mind or is transparency just not quite one of those things that people are paying enough attention to yet
1: um i think it's difficult like i think it's how on how you market it um so everlane was really you know say wall marketing around transparency which is funny because for them it's transparency about price not necessarily down to uh where uh the products or the material come from uh, and i think that really did bring them more like it's part of their brand. uh at the moment i think if you have this image that you are kind of transparent then yes it can bring you more customers but i don't think customers will buy more because you have a map versus you just have a little bit of text of where things come from at the moment um, but I hope it's going to change, but uh, if you have this image of being transparent and, and the maps and all this is here to make sure that you're not being backlashed by greenwashing as a greenwashing company. Um, it's more it's more like as a backup, but yeah, as long as you have the image of transparency, it brings you, I think it brings you more personal, Yeah. But that's just my opinion. Uh, we don't have real, real de- I don't have real data on this.
5: I was actually just, Also, typing a question for you, kind of related to that, if I can just jump in here. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I was curious about if you feel like there's enough pressure coming from consumers for brands to partner with you, or if it's mostly just them seeing other brands doing things and almost panicking and feeling like they need to participate too, and and where that comes from if they feel like it's because the consumers will then not want to shop with them if they have the choice, or if you feel like maybe there just isn't enough pressure from the consumers quite yet,
1: I guess. I think there's kind of pressure on the consumers on the social media side. I don't know if there is lots of pressure on the buying side. <laughs> like, will they actually buy more? Um, I think we're starting to see that numbers, definitely. And I put some reference, I think, in the, in the op-ed I, I wrote. but. Uh, it's still I don't know, I yeah, uh, I don't know if if it's actually the buying power really makes a difference, but different is on you know, social media, and so people will differently follow them. Yeah, thanks Andrew and Brian had to look.
3: Um Just one quick request for everyone who's still here. If you can just drop whatever country you're in into the chat so that we have it for. Our records
7: the other thing that would be awesome is somehow and I know this sounds like so millennial and ridiculous but I would love to be able to round up all of the handles for everyone because truth is when I walk away and I'm sure that I could do it if I spend a good hour on the feed of
0: we'll, etc. we'll be doing that in part of the recap we'll send out an email and we'll, 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 uh, we'll loop That's you amazing, but we have all, the. sorry. And, we'll
7: make sure. and it's just cause like, you know, like I, I, there are so many things that spark up all these conversations happen and I can remember those, but then it's hard for me to track down. Like, you know, like Juliet is like amazing material to put front and center regarding editorial. I want to get back in touch with, you know, like, I mean, it's just, it's great. Like there's a lot of things going on, but if it's not organized and streamlined then it can get easily lost in four days where I'm like, Hmm, pizza. You know, I'm like, I'm just, and that's that um, I do want to say thank you though I never have a chance to do this and I do this in private with Devin but um, this is great uh, for so many reasons that I'm not going to list right now but um, I was thinking and I have to say this and then I'll be quiet but um Last town hall, and I think it was Yudak. I don't know if you pronounce it like this, but she was mentioning the absence of fridges. Are you the one from Peru that was speaking about this? Yeah. So that really stuck with me for more than just a few days uh, because that's something that I I mean, I guess you can be aware of it, but it's not like you think of it when there are so many other problems being thrown at you in every channel. Um, And so I realized the importance of this roundup is not just Efficiency and business and logistics, but also a very important human component to understand what is happening on the four corners on the planet, and to keep in mind struggles are relative, really. Um, And I don't mean that for yours or that of your people, but contrary to mine, where literally I'll hear people be extremely upset about not finding eggs and flour, and really now I have the answer where I'm like, well, at least you know where to put those fucking things once you get them, and that's a pretty important thing um on the other hand in all the answers i just got from everyone it's incredible to me that it's like uh even in speaking to brian um there's this weird thing where it is alarming how many hurdles exist but it is incredibly amazing to have this collective of people under um that have so much knowledge on these things like it's like all these answers that these people gave us could totally be fluff and PR and make us feel super good, but they weren't, they're actually informed, knowledgeable, layered answers that can then be taken and actually actioned, which is incredible. Um, so anyways, thanks. Really, I think this is great. All right, bye. Thank you, Robin. <laughs> You're welcome. I mean, thank you, Devon, and thank you all.
0: Well, it's it's gonna be tough to, uh, to say much more after that. Um, I know for, for the Canvas team, this is becoming something that we're starting to look forward to every week. Um, and we're gonna, we're gonna keep trying to make these better and better. I know they are, are so far from perfect. Um, so with that, if anyone has any suggestions, comments, any more questions, uh, now would be a great time. Anyone on the, on the Canvas team, if you guys wanna jump in, Aline, I know you wanted to show everyone that um, Antwerp is, is now fully back up and running. So if you wanted to just do a quick uh, peek of the store, that would be awesome.
8: Yes, great. I'll do that. I suggest
0: I suggest
6: starting from outside, like how people come in.
8: Yes. We have good
6: internet,
3: so.
8: <laughs> okay. So this is the canvas from the outside, like this, and then people can go in. Now we have arrows on the floor because of the COVID restrictions. This is the beautiful stair that we have. I don't know if you see it. A nice plant. Rex. Changing room. Nice to see it again. And on the first floor we have a a bar with tables but right now they're full of clothes because we can't use the bar it's over there we're not allowed to uh give people food or drinks right now and then we have one more floor with more clothes
7: thank you elaine
8: So, that's Antwerp.
7: So, does the fireplace work?
6: No, it's it's not a working fireplace, unfortunately. When you
0: make a fire, it does hold that fire in place. That's true, yeah. It
3: just might burn the building down.
0: So, with that, any more questions, comments? Um, now would be a great time. Otherwise, we will uh, we'll wrap up, and we will plan to see everyone hopefully next Thursday for our third town hall.
3: Thank you guys so much for coming this week, and it's it's been great to catch up and see everyone's faces, make sure everyone's doing okay.
2: Thank you guys. Great. Bye everybody. Bye-bye. Take care.